Well, I would invite you this morning to turn to a, um, a misplaced Bible passage for this season. John, uh, James chapter 5. If you want to turn to James chapter 5, I would invite you to go there. We discovered a couple weeks ago that there's a courageous choice to make as we walk through Advent, and the first courageous choice is that of hope. Hope is a courageous choice in a world that often does not present hope. Last week, we spoke about a radical choice, which is the radical choice of peace. And we talked about how our world often accommodates a lack of peace, even in the name of God. But peace is a radical, radical choice. And we talked about our Amish friends and the choice they made. Extending forgiveness. Wow, what a, what a truth, what a story that is. Today, we're going to talk about a bold choice. A strong choice. I thought about this a little more. I think it's a gritty choice. You know, those choices you make that are gritty. That are often in the, you know, they're in the battlefields of life. In the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt said, a gritty choice. But sometimes words of Scripture seem misplaced. And that's what our text feels like today. It's kind of misplaced for this season when we first look at it. But then when you think about it, it really is not because this is the season of Advent. The season in the church year where we focus on waiting and I think that's one of the reasons why we don't do Advent so well. One of the reasons why we, we blur Advent and Christmas together, trying to get to Christmas as quickly as possible because we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait for anything. But right here on this third Sunday of Advent, we are so close to Christmas, you can smell it. I could already smell Christmas dinner. And yet... We wait. In the immediate sense, we wait for the Christmas celebration in the deepest traditions, though, of Advent. Advent was actually a time of fasting. And in the deepest traditions of Advent, decorations and festive cries of Merry Christmas are not heard until Christmas Day. But we want to get there, and we want to get there right now. But Advent calls us to wait. It's also the one season in the church year where one of the primary foci is that we wait for his perusia, and that word's going to crop up in our text today. It literally means his coming. We wait for the return of Jesus. We believe in the return of Jesus, and we wait for that. How we long for his return. We sang about that just the other week. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That hymn, by the way, is not a Christmas carol. It's an Advent carol. That's our cry as we longingly look at a broken world. But, yes, we wait. As we said a couple weeks ago, Advent is the place where we live, though. It's where we live all year long. In the almost but not yet, whether that is at this midpoint in the Advent season, 
as our anticipation of the Christmas celebration increases, or in the midst of a world that just is off. But we know that one day God will make all things right. And the truth is, you and I live in the question that's posed repeatedly in Scripture, repeatedly by the psalmist. How long, Lord? How long? How long am I going to go through this chemotherapy? How long? How long am I going to have to deal with this problem? How long? How long is this relationship not going to be reconciled? How long? That's where we live. We live there when at the same time we need to remember that the psalmist says, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Amen? But I digress. Back to this ill-fitting passage we're going to look at. The scriptures that are anchoring these messages as we walk through Advent come from what we call the Revised Common Lectionary, this common reading of Scripture together. And so this morning, there are millions of followers of Jesus around the world who are reading the same text that we're going to read. And in the wisdom of those who compiled these texts, they included James 5 for this time of year, and I asked them a question. What were you thinking? Because today is what's known as Gaudet Sunday. Probably better said Gaudet Sunday, right? I'm getting nods. Yes, Pastor Jeff, it's Gaudet Sunday. French. It means rejoicing. That's what this Sunday is considered in the church calendar. Well, what the writer James seems to say to us this morning, it appears far from joy, because not once in the text we're going to read, not once are we met by the word joy. Instead, on this Joy Sunday, we're met by words like wait, which is contrary to the immediacy of gratification that's hardwired into the holiday season for 1999 if you hurry. We hear words like patience, one of the most absent virtues among us, along with this cousin humility. We heard the, we're going to hear the word suffering. That's the farthest thing from joy that we could ever imagine. We never associate suffering with joy. And we're going to hear the word judge, which flies in the face of a world where unrestrained pleasure is our primary definition of joy. And yet, the text we're going to read is probably one of the best texts on joy in the Bible. Dietrich Bonhoeffer helps us. He lost his life in his late 30s in a prison, in one of Hitler's prisons. Lost his life for his faith. But before that, he wrote this. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. I have a question. Are you looking forward to something greater to come? Are you? Are you looking forward to something 
greater to come. Then James chapter 5 is for you. This is the word of the Lord for us today. I think we should stand today as we read God's word. Beginning with verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too. Be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Perhaps this is a time for a confession. Joy. It has seemed elusive for me the last three or four years. At different chapters and places in my life. At times I've had to push myself to the place of joy, and I felt like I need to be honest about that if I'm going to preach this sermon on joy today. Pastoring in a pandemic, never feeling like you were ever right, the death of my father in the midst of it, the brokenness of relationships, over the pandemic issues, the political issues, the stuff of the last three to four years have left a deep wound. My own places of exhaustion and struggle and doubt, especially the first half of 2021. I have lived so many times in these recent years, in what the psalmist calls in Psalm 63, a dry and parched land where there is no water. Maybe that's why this very different Advent passage is good for me. And maybe for you as well. Contrary to what we often attribute as joy, emotional satisfaction, pleasing circumstances, fulfilled dreams and wants. There is something much deeper, something much more intentional, something of a practice that gets to the soul of a person. It's a choice. It's joy. James reminds us that the seeds of joy are planted in the rich soil of, wait for it, Patience. Be patient, he says. Until the Lord's coming. That's where that word perusia is. Be patient until the Lord's perusia. 
See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Okay, James, I get the message. Be patient. Enough already. (laughs) But the verb form of patience here suggests an attitude that can endure delay. Hear that. An attitude that can endure delay, that can bear suffering, that will never give in. Now, quick, think about that while shopping during this time of year. And let me ask you, do you ever think of patience? Do you ever see patience? But patience is often viewed as cosmic punishment. (laughs) I'm praying for patience, and some well-intending soul goes, don't do that! You pray for patience, God is going to do something that's going to make you patient. Really? Do I, do I serve a God? I say, oh, Jesus, give me patience. And he says, no problem. I'm putting you in a traffic jam on every turnpike. It's all good. Got you covered. I'm putting you as the 32nd person at the Christmas tree shop to get one string of lights. No problem. Patience. Do we love that kind of God? No. You see, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is what the Holy Spirit of God does in our lives when our lives are yielded to Christ. He fills us with His Spirit, and the Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And right in the middle of that is patience. This Ability to endure the delay. You see, it's not God's cosmic punishment. It's God's gift. God wants to give us patience. But for us to get to God's patience for us, we need to change our pace. Stephen Machia says we need to live at the pace of God. Imagine walking with Jesus. At three miles an hour, if that fast. What happens if I do that? If there's ever a season to change gears on pace, that season's upon us. And you know the farmer. The farmer gives us the seeds of growing in patience. The farmer. That's the metaphor here. Faithfulness to the task. Anticipation of what is to come. And a willingness to wait. And what happens to the farmer when he does the farmer stuff? Those of you who have been involved in farming or even growing a garden, when things start breaking through the ground, what comes with it? My cucumbers, joy. When we are not like the farmer... We become impatient. We become anxious. We become discouraged. We lose joy. And this is how James describes it. We grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. And you know, when we lose joy on our own, it becomes much easier to pick out the faults of others. In other words, we become people who are 
also, as we wait for abated breath of our souls for God to do this in our lives, we live in this not yet world where joy, hear me now clearly, joy is never isolated from suffering. Verse 10 says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. And then he goes on to talk about the prophets. This is where we can often get locked up in this Advent Christmas season, this place of joy. Because we take one look at the machinations of a broken world around us, and it's very easy to default to a negativity bias. I hope you've been reading this devotional that we've put out there because Samantha Chambo is doing a great job of sharing some stuff and I appreciate the honesty of her words in today's devotional. When she describes her waiting in joy this way, she says, I struggled to believe the good thing will come. All the bad things that happened in my formative years have led to a situation where I assume the bad and just is just about as possible as the good. So I generally wait in fear, anxious to see how it will pan out. It's a good word of honesty. Bad things have happened in our lives, in your lives, in my life. And it's easy. It's easy to lose joy. That's why this is a bold choice. That's why this is a strong choice. That's why this is a gritty choice. The truth is, neuroscience has shown that we are more prone to a negativity bias rather than a positive one. One of the researchers, John Tierney, said the negativity bias gives us a warped view of the world. We focus only on what's going wrong, they say, in the present, and assume that it will keep going wrong in the future. And so we develop catastrophic thinking. And you know what? The media, and I know I talk about this some, with some regularity, but you got to hear, we got to hear. What are we consuming here? Because the media, the social, the network, or the cable news, even some of entertainment, the fuel of conspiracy. None of that's interested in providing joy. None of it. Division and negativity and discontent. The aim of a commercial any given time during the holiday season is to create discontent with me. Discontent, I need to have that better blender. Right? Kathleen would say, Jesus really has come if I walk in the door and go, I need to have the better blender. But that's what it creates. Discontent. And what it breeds, what all of that breeds, this division, this negativity, it breeds reaction and a fight or flight mentality. And honestly, that's the prime business model. The world has no use for real joy, imitation joy, but not real joy. The other side of the spectrum when it comes to joy is we want to turn joy into some 
passive emotional pablum. You know what pablum is? It's like food for a little baby. Soft and easy. We try to deny the harsh realities of a sinful and broken world. It's, it's the culture's definition of joy that is akin to putting lipstick on a pig. And this time of year, the lipstick often looks like bows and ribbons and commercials that feed a discontent. And we use all of that stuff oftentimes to hide the pain. And we often use that stuff to like, let's look over here so we don't have to look over here. And yet remember, joy is never immune to, from pain, to pain. Like peace, we saw last week, we often misalign joy with happy feelings and fun times and the ability to put a good spin on everything. But be reminded that the deepest possible joy ever known to all of the universe, the joy of God, is even found in the violence of the cross. That's the gospel. In Hebrews chapter 12 it says, we are to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But right there, in the most violent, the most horrific abuse of power upon a person, there was joy, the joy of God. And that example is held up in the book of Hebrews as an invitation and encouragement to faithful endurance. It goes on and says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you, Jeff DeFrancis, will not grow weary and lose heart in the middle of 2021. There's another word for all of this. And it's the word resilience. We need resilience in this day. And joy is directly connected to that. That's why, again, it's one of the boldest of choices. It is the granite rock of the four Advent aspirations. Hope, peace, next week is love, and this week is joy. It's the granite rock. It's the choice that kicks hope and peace into action in our lives that then expresses itself in love. Why is that? Well, James says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See, the farmer waits for the land to yield this valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. But, but be patient until the Lord's coming. Don't be reactive. Don't be predictive. Be patient. And here's where the joy is. <laughs> Fleming Rutledge writes, we do not know why God delays so long, why many have to suffer. We don't know. All we know is that there is this rumor, this hope, this expectation that the master of the house is coming back, the promise that against all evidence there is a God who cares. Amen. 
So Advent reminds us we're awaiting people, and joy is the product of waiting. Waiting on God, trusting God in His slow work in us. The greatest work of God is not what He does in the immediate. It's not a quick prayer, okay, my soul said I could do what I want. No, it's this constant, patient yielding and surrendering and resilience to say, I am going to seek God and be part of God's people and His plan in the world. I am going to continue to do that year in and year out. And there's this slow work of God's grace in our lives that's forming and shaping us into Christ-likeness. It's this slow work. Trusting is slow work in us and through us and for us and in the world rather than us trying to pull the levers whether it's in my living room or in the arenas of the world around us so that it works my way. It's slowing down to adore Him. Come, let us adore Him. That takes time. Advent reminds us also the joy is because we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. It's maybe so well spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 35, which is one of the readings today in the lectionary. And and part of God's ultimate end is this amazing unleashing of joy. The prophet writes, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, and they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Lock that in your heart. The glory of the Lord, the splendor of God. It goes on. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I want to be there for this. And then it says, and a highway will be there. Not just a path, but a highway. And it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued, rescued, will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. That is our hope. We know the end of the story. And so our patience is fed by that joy. Joy is not wishy-washy emotionalism. Like I said, it is like the New Hampshire Granite Rock Foundation. Joy is powerful. How powerful is joy? How powerful is it? Well, those suffering... Our text tells us can even be blessed. Verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Joy helps us to persevere. In fact, Isaiah goes on, he he says, the joy of what God wants to do should lead us to be people of resilience. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. Hear that today, people. Be strong, do not fear, your God 
My God, our God will come. And that helps us be resistant, resilient, because it offers strength. The, probably one of the most quoted, if not the most quoted text in the Bible on joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is how James puts it in verse 8. You must also wait patiently, strengthening your resolve, because the coming of the Lord is near. And this literally is this call to, affirm, to firm up our commitment to God and an inner resolve to hold fast to Him, to trust God will come, not just in the future, but now. If you want to see God in the future, focus on today. Not trying to predict what's going to happen down the road. Strength, resolve, and resilience is in joy in God and who he is, the splendor of God. James goes on and he says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Are you ready? Breathe deep that fresh air. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Breathe that in, friends. We don't see a lot of that in our world, but we see it in our God. Take a deep breath of that. The prophets endured the worst insults. Jeremiah was thrown into a, a well, left for dead. Job endured suffering that few of us could ever imagine. Lost his children. Some of you know what that's like. Lost his business, lost his living. Some of you know what that's like. Lost his health. Some of you know what that's like. But it's joy that sustained them. So what circumstances that do not feel like an opportunity for joy in your life are the place you must Choose joy. Joy in God for who God is, period. Not for what he's going to do. Not for how he's going to make it work to your favor. Or my favor. But joy in God for who God is. My friends, that is a gritty choice. Right? That's a bold choice. But it is a choice. Gary Bernison is a CEO type and leadership coach. And in one of his recent newsletters, he wrote, while we can't change our circumstances, we can absolutely change our thoughts. Sometimes in the most profound ways, turning darkness into light, it's a choice. Indeed, that's the news worth spreading. So what does that look like in real time? Well, many of you know the story of Bethany Hamilton. I think we have a picture of her today. Go ahead and put that up there. There you go. 15 years old. This was many years ago now. But you may remember that the story is she was the highest rated amateur surfer in Hawaii until she had a tiger shark attack her. And she lost her arm, as you can see. I wonder what I would have done. I wonder what my response, like our, our Amish friends who forgave 
the shooter, I asked myself, what, Jeff, what would you do? Let's take it away from speculation stuff. Let's just put it right where it lives, right? What would I, what would I do, Jeff? What would I do if I lost my arm? Or what would I do as a preacher if I lost my ability to speak? What would I do? What would have I chosen as a response? Because you see, we all have a choice, and when these things happen to us, we can choose to be better or bitter. Right? So, what did Bethany choose? Well, shortly after the initial injury, the first thing she did was she raised money for a blind man so that he could regain his sight. At one point, she was being interviewed in New York City in the winter, and she went by a homeless man who didn't have a coat. She took her coat off her winter coat, and gave it to the homeless man. She eventually began what's called the Beautifully Flawed Foundation. I love that. Because you know what? We're all beautifully flawed. This focuses on bringing hope to those who have been marred by traumatic events. And here's from their mission statement, where we believe the longing within every person to overcome the trials, pains, and difficulties of life are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Our mission is to encourage a broken world and offer hope to overcome through him. Now, why did Bethany Hamilton make that choice? That's my question. I want to understand why. How did she do that? Well, years ago, when this happened, her pastor was a man named Steve Thompson, and he said this, and I think we have that quote. She's looking forward to the future, She's asking herself, how can I show the world I still have a life, that I enjoy my life, and that my life is filled with joy? She has an underlying trust that God is taking care of her. That my life is filled with joy, regardless. In many ways, that's directly connected to where we put our minds, as we talked about earlier, in our Our lives can be robbed of the joy that brings endurance because our mental focus is misguided. Read the scriptures and look how often it talks about us renewing our mind, putting our mind on things above, our thoughts being thoughts of God's ways. Jaron Rowell writes in his book on joy, Christian joy does not rest on a foundation of emotions and feelings, but on the foundation of a life rightly oriented to God. So much of this has to do with whether or not our thoughts are aligned with God's thoughts. Many Christians don't have joy because their loyalties are compromised, scattered, and divided. But Scripture says so much about what we do with our thoughts. So, of course, we have to go to the book of Philippians, the book on joy, and the message, paraphrase, Philippians 4 says, celebrate God all day. Every day. I mean, revel in Him. I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble and reputable and authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into His most excellent harmonies, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. My friends, Jesus is our joy. 
Jesus is the joy of every longing heart. And Advent is about longing. It's about waiting. It's about anticipating. It's about anticipating the bright joy of Christmas that God is with us. And that, period, is our joy. God is our joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So yes, the last several years, joy has sometimes been very elusive, oftentimes for me. And as I was longing and searching for that and continue to do that, I felt like I was grabbing air at times. And in the worst of the times, I felt like I was drowning at times when I was lost. And I would read my Bible, and it was almost as if the pages were blank. And at times I seemed lost. And then in the middle of that, June 12th happened last year. It was Chris's wedding. And I'd walked in the darkness, and the seam of the light was so limited. But it was on that weekend that God seemed to break through a little bit. And it was the following day, June 13th. I was sitting on a swinging chair on this porch of this house we had rented for our family, the gathering for the wedding. And all of a sudden, I'm just looking out over this field on this sunny morning. And God just showed up. And the only way I can describe it to you was that waves of joy washed over me and I recognized that it was celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection joy. And I realized in that moment that joy is all about Jesus and who he is and what he has done and what he will do. Don't walk away from here thinking like, okay, everything's good now. You're good for the rest of your life. Because the circumstances did not change that were around me. The rough places, in many ways, have remained. Some broken family relationships still need mending. The ache in my soul for the brokenness of the church in America increases. And every time I walk through my, by my father's picture, there's a stab of grief. But again, our friend who lost his life in Hitler's jail, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, helps us. He says, look up. You whose gaze is fixed on this earth, who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth, look up to these words, you who have turned away from heaven, disappointed. Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that the earth has gracelessly torn us away. 
Look up, you who burdened with guilt cannot lift your eyes. Look up, your redemption is drawing near. Something different from what you see daily will happen. Just be aware. Be watchful. Wait. Just another short moment. Wait, and something quite new will break over you. God will come. Say that with me. God will come. I don't know how God came to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was executed. No fairy tale ending there. But you know, the guards who guarded him said there was such a radiance of the love of Christ from him. His executioners saw in him something of Jesus. So look up. God will come. Wait and something quite new will break over you. God will come. The future is in God's hand and we can live in anticipation that God has, God does, and God will come. And that's what joy to the world is about. Come worship team. Can't leave here without singing that today. Where is it that you need God to come? That's his promise to us. That's the longing of that great haunting Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Where is it that you need God to come today? My friends, I am so confident of this. I am confident that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. But the land of the living often is not good. The goodness of God in the land of the living. Next instruction. So wait. Be of good courage. Be resilient. Hang in there. Walk into those places where the joy seems absent. Wait on the Lord. And our God will come. He will come. It may be in a porch looking over a field. It may be in a worship gathering where you're with some friends in Christ. It may be over coffee with someone as you're pouring out your heart. It may be as you're just singing joy to the our God will come. Let's stand together.